So hello and welcome to Cherry Beckert's podcast series for private equity, where we will be discussing challenges and opportunities in the ever-changing investment environment. This is the first of a three-part series attributable to the marine industry and the boating industry. Uh, our guest today will be David G., who is the executive editor of the boating industry. And so for more than 75 years, all those serious about the business of boating have turned to Boating Industry Magazine, which is one of the most authoritative voices of the remaining market for strategic analysis, in-depth coverage, and proprietary research of the day's most critical issues. My name is Ron Wainwright. I'm a partner with Cherry Beckert and our national leader of credits and accounting methods. So what we'd like to do in the first stage is to uh, talk about what is happening in the marine industry when we think about merger and acquisition activity. Uh, so David, uh, a number of questions. Um, what in your assessment is the state uh, of the M&A uh, world in the marine industry, uh, specifically as we focus on private equity groups? Well, thanks for having me, Ron. And uh, yeah, I appreciate that uh, that intro. Just to you know, kind of set the stage, give you a little idea of the flurry of activity in, in just the past couple of years in the recreational boating industry. Malibu bought Pursuit and Cobalt. Mastercraft bought a, a pontoon company in Nautic Star, uh, a bay boat company. Correct Craft acquired uh, a, a company. Polaris, the snowmobile manufacturer, bought a boat holding company, which included four brands. Winnebago, the RV manufacturer, uh, purchased Chriscraft. BRP, another power sports company, acquired uh, a Lumacraft, a fishing boat company. They formed a marine group, and, and Brunswick uh, bought uh, a power products company, and there are some others. So uh, there's been quite a, a flurry of activity, nothing in the in the past couple of months to, uh, to detail, but as I talk to these CEOs, uh, and, and as we'll find out a little later in the podcast, uh, they're always they're always looking. So uh, every every CEO I, I talk to in the recreational boating industry, uh, and I wouldn't necessarily be the first to know if if a deal was percolating. I might in fact be the last to know uh, as a as a media uh, uh, editor. But uh, they're certainly always on the lookout, and uh, I, I think there could be some some opportunities coming up, especially depending on which way the economy goes here in the next year or so. So, David, what, what in your assessment has caused this uptick in M&A activity? And some of the examples you mentioned we know are, are private equity driven. So mm -hmm. um, yep. can you speak to kind of what's caused this, this uptick? Yeah, well, let me talk a little bit. Uh, I, th I think it would be helpful to detail a couple of these deals that, that I mentioned, uh, go a little bit more beneath the surface. One is likely going to make perfect sense to listeners. Uh, the other, uh, not so much. Maybe on the surface, we're still trying to make sense of that. But uh, let's take Mastercraft. So uh company started back in 1968. They were the first or one of the first to put a V8 car motor in the middle of a boat with an inboard setup, optimized water scheme. So about 10 or 12 years ago, wakeboarding became the big thing. Mastercraft moved into that area. Then around 2015 or so, uh, wake surfing began, uh, became the big thing. They went there as well. Highly, uh, you know, specialized water sports activities, uh, but all ostensibly the, the same general type of boat. The boats run anywhere from 80 to $200,000, so not inexpensive for a specific purpose-built type boat. 
And if the economy tanks, uh, the discretionary purchase of, of boats like that might as well. So uh, they have some cash. What would they want to do, right? Diversify their product line. So they buy an established pontoon boat company, different segment of the recreational boating industry. They have their own dealer network, their own manufacturing facility, and a completely different type of boat, different demographics, different price point. So conceivably, if one segment of the boating industry tanks, another might still be doing fairly well. So that's the thinking with the majority of these acquisitions. It's simply diversifying a product line. Now, uh, let's look at another deal, kind of an outlier, Winnebago, Winnebago Industries, arguably the best known recreational vehicle brand in the US. What do they do? They buy another iconic brand, a boat brand, Chris Craft, been around for decades, hundreds, hundred years. Even if people don't have a clue about boating, they've likely heard about Chris Craft. So what was Winnebago thinking? Well, there are just three RV manufacturers, which Winnebago is one, who have 92% of the RV market. So not much to buy there, right? And there might even be antitrust concerns because of their market share. So instead, they look to the boat segment and they say, well, you know what? It's highly cyclical, but it does have some growth attributes. It's a, a highly fragmented market, and, and we might be able to, to make some dollars there. They also see a significant intersection between the RV and marine lifestyles, similar customer demographics, some crossover of the ownership. So then now they have a broader, more balanced portfolio of products positioned across an entire lifestyle and leisure industry, and they expect to drive improved profitability and, and shareholder value. We'll see about that. Now, more specifically, in the majority of these acquisitions, they're public companies, right? It's, it's not unusual for public companies to have a leg of their growth be acquisitions. That could vary in volume, has to be balanced with organic growth, but it's all a function of a strategic plan. And as one of the CEOs told me, he said they're not necessarily buying earnings because Wall Street doesn't give you any long-term multiple for that, no reward. So it has to be part of a larger strategy that can be executed by the acquirer. And it's likely that most of these public companies, most public companies across any sector likely, have uh, some business development executive working to constantly evaluate the market for uh, key acquisition. So, uh, they think that they can improve processes, improve quality, cycle time, make uh, changes to the sourcing, the supply chain, add engineering and marketing resources, and uh, and make a buck. I mean, that's really what it's all about. So when we go back to the the uptick in the ME activity and, and mm -hmm. kind of the the phenomenon, as I would say, that's uh, occurring, is this really U.S. or is it more a global trend? Well, since most, it's really U.S., since the vast majority of, of recreational boat builders are uh, based in the U.S., it's, it's really not a global trend. There are a couple of recreational boat builders in Australia and New Zealand, uh, some in, in Europe, but it's, uh, if you go boating in Europe, it's likely in an American-made boat, uh, the same down under, uh, the same true in Asia. In fact, uh, the National Marine Manufacturers Association, the, the largest uh, recreational boat building trade association works actively to help uh, their uh, uh, their members export boats. So, so it's really kind of an, an American phenomenon. Uh, part of what's driving it, there's still lots of older founder-based businesses in the industry. As I said, the the industry as a whole is very fragmented. 
And those companies don't want to go through the next downturn. When uh, the, the big uh, uh, downturn happened in 2007, 2008, it, it pretty much halved uh, the marine industry, cut it, cut it in half. And, and it really hasn't uh, recovered fully in terms of, of workforce. A lot, a lot of people uh, went to work in other industries and didn't return. Uh, boat dealers went out of business. Some manufacturers went out of business. And so uh, these founder-based companies don't want to go through that again. Uh, in fact, may not have, have the cash to, to be able to go through that again. So I think there's a little bit of a rush from sellers who want to beat that downturn. As a, as a result of that, there's a lot of discussion, has been the last couple of years, a lot of activities we've seen. Here's the thing, though. We don't know exactly how many companies are in the, the recreational boating space on the manufacturing side. It's over it's over a thousand for sure. Every everybody concedes that. Whatever the number is though, it, it's a big one. And just by doing the math, you have to figure that that all of those recent acquisitions I detailed, they've really not appreciably changed the industry. It's still highly fragmented, still dominated by, you know, mom and pops and uh all it's done really is, is centralize some of the larger companies. But uh, you know, will it continue? That that's you know that's something we can we can talk about as well. Last question: uh, Do you believe in this consolidation? Um, will this make room for, to your comment, new or startup manufacturers, which will ultimately break in uh, the boating industry, the marine industry? Boy, I'd I'd love to think so. I, as a as a lifelong boater and fan of of the business, I'd I'd love to say yes, but I don't think so. Uh, for one, the boating industry is very slow to change. In fact, they're resistant to change in in some ways. That's true both on the supplier side and the dealer side. To be a, a startup boat builder, you have to have a dealer network. That's tough to build. You have to have cash. Unless you're self-funded, it's really difficult to get financing for a new boat building venture, regardless of your track record, either from a bank or a private equity. Uh, and, and I want to tell you about a friend of mine. He's a passionate, successful entrepreneur. He started two boat manufacturing companies, was the CEO of a third. So he came up with the idea for an innovative new boat in a popular segment, unlike anything on the market. He knows the dealers. He gets 100 pre-orders, has sources lined up, contract manufacturers. Everything's good to go. However, guess what? He's sourcing some aluminum from China, and the tariffs hit just as he's ramping up. So suddenly, the cost of his raw materials shoot up, his profit margin changes in the process, and he just really struggles. So, you know, he, he now has quality control issues. Uh, that's tough to manage from here in the U.S., even with the Chinese agent helping him. And the whole thing just kind of collapsed before he could really build very many boats. So, you know, everybody's struggling with a qualified, skilled labor force. Uh, everybody, even even boat building companies that have been in, in business for a long time, struggle with capitalization, with cash cash flow. It's just a really difficult environment for a startup boat builder. So, uh, so I'd love to say that that it's a great environment for startups, but uh, unfortunately, the, the reality is is quite different. Well, David, on behalf of Cherry Beckert, uh, we want to thank you for joining us today in this first of, of three part series uh, dealing with the marine industry, the boating industry. And, and really what we see happening from a private equity as well as a merger and acquisition. So thank you. You're welcome.